Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's questions day, but we start with some news. And we start with some very sad news. A few days ago, our dear friend, producer Guy, lost his dad after a long illness. So we send Guy, of course, lots of love and hugs from London and Sussex. And I'm sure you'll send him your regards from all over the world. Kieran, he might not even be listening to this, to be fair, in which case it will be going out unedited. So we'd better be very careful for once. Yes, uh, and, and whilst whilst we take the Mickey out of producer guy as part of the show, we, we genuinely love the guy to bits. But yeah, because without him, the show well, a the show wouldn't be going because we're so disorganised, <laughs> and B, I suspect my house would have been repossessed following a few legal cases because he he contacts me at times and says, you know, Kieran, and and it's never in anger; it's always in sorrow rather than anger. And he'll, and he'll contact me and he says, Kieran, that that story you said about the club owner and those two prostitutes, the cocaine, the frogman's outfit and, and the bath full of custard. I, I, I just don't think it's a good idea to put that one out. I'll go, oh, okay, producer guy. So uh, we, we, we genuinely love the guy to bits. He he is one of the nicest blokes uh, and, he, and he's a great family man. So all of our love and, and best wishes uh, to him and his family. But then he gets angry over the strangest things like the bird song being too loud in Spain. <laughs> Um, a, a couple of a, a couple of actual news stories, Kieran. Topical. Um, it looks like either UEFA and or the Paris authorities got things very very badly wrong on Saturday night before the Champions League final. Um, policing based on reputation is my guess—a reputation that Liverpool fans have long shaken off, but English football fans still have. And some of those scenes of. of Oh, essentially, a kettling was going on before the mm. game, and it was dangerous, Kieran, wasn't it? Uh, yes, uh, and it's 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 prejudice. You know, yeah, we yeah. we we've, we are. I know this is a football finance show, but but you and I, we are both football fans. We've both been on the receiving end of uh, incorrect policing, policing, and also we've been on the receiving ends of some absolutely great policing, yeah, uh, as as well. Uh, and and there is a hell of a difference. Um, I I was fortunate enough to go to the. Euro finals in 2016 uh, in, in Paris, and, and there it was pretty good. But at the same time, uh, you know, it was it was France playing at home in the final, so it, it, it was it was less of an issue. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the the French police, uh, they they're not the type you're likely to strike up a conversation with. You know, they they do look pretty 
pretty rough. Uh, and uh, you, know, you and I are also both both old enough to to remember uh, when when the Met weren't, should we say, the, the best friends of football, and mm-hmm. and they they were as much looking up for a scrap as as some of the uh, some of the two firms who would be up against each other. Yeah. Um- it's Football Finance, Kieran, as you say. So congratulations to either Nottingham Forest or Huddersfield. We're recording this at 12.30 on Sunday. Um, but one quick question, Kieran, before we get to questions from our listeners. Is Sky's hyperbole still correct? Is the Championship final still the most valuable game in football? Uh, it, it is, uh, especially in the case of uh, Nottingham Forest, because they're not in receipt of parachute payments mm. if they are promoted. Therefore, their broadcast revenue uh, from from the EFL, they get around about two and a half million. They get probably about another four and a half million from the, from the Premier League in solidarity payments. So it will go from seven, seven and a half mil to, uh, you know, we, we did the numbers. Norwich got 101 last season, plus two years of parachute payments, which are another 75. You lob in increased sponsorship. You lob in increased perimeter advertising. And you know the, the numbers that Sky are talking are genuine. Um, and, if, and if you stay up one season, all of a sudden that, that becomes 300 million. So mm. it, it is the, uh, it, it's, it's the richest uh, game in the world. And as such, because the prizes are so big, it's, it's a lottery ticket. And people, in my opinion, overpay for that lottery ticket and, and that's why we have the the problems that we have we have today in terms of uh, the championship last season 120 pounds in wages for every 100 pounds worth of income clubs have an incentive to overspend uh, in the championship and when they get to the premier league they think it's going to solve all their problems but then they then they realize they've got an incentive to overspend to avoid going back to the championship so it doesn't actually improve their finances as much as they'd anticipated mm. questions kieran and our first one comes from andy hunter uh, andy is an aberdeen fan or if he's not he's curiously interested in them um <laughs> andy says could you tell me what you think of aberdeen's latest figures I'm slightly concerned that the wages increased from 68% to 85% of turnover due to the impact of COVID. Is this as you would expect, or should I be concerned going forward? Also, how long will we take to recover to our pre-COVID position? And, and interesting, Kieran, well, you've just talked about championship clubs averaging 120% uh, yeah. wages, and theirs is only 85%. So, uh, again, it's more proof that Scottish football seems to be slightly more sensible than us. It, it is. It, it certainly is uh, compared to our championship. That's for sure. Um, with with regard to Aberdeen, Andy, um, you, you can rest easy in, in my view, um, because whilst the wages to ratio, wages to revenue, revenue ratio did increase, wages overall fell. Um, wages based on my numbers, uh, they're averaging probably around about four thousand two hundred pounds per week. Um, and, and I think I think somebody from Aberdeen went to play for a team in the National League who were, were paying more than that, which 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 I think is uh, uh, yeah we, we we need to do a proper investigation into the National League because that is turning into a, a another Wild West uh, yeah. in my view. Sorry, um, can, can, can I just interrupt there, Kieran? Sorry, because sure. uh, I, I, I spotted a squirrel outside and was slightly distracted. <laughs> Did you say four thousand two hundred pounds the average Aberdeen yeah. wage in yeah. the in the Scottish Premier League? In the Scottish Premier League, yeah. Wow, that's. Um, I think that will come as a surprise to quite a few people, Kieran, because they're they're, you know, they're building a new ground. They're a, they're a team that we, as you say, are not historically short of money. So that's incredibly low. It seems to me. 
Well, and and that's also the third highest in wow. the Scottish Premiership. You know, oh, you've got Rangers and Celtic who are who are streets ahead, and and that's why that you know it, it is a duopoly uh, as as far yeah. as winning trophies is concerned. Um, Aberdeen have a competitive wage structure. There are clubs in the Scottish Premiership who are averaging less than a grand a week. Well, I suppose, well, I suppose actually I say four four grand a week is not a lot. It's two hundred grand a year, so it's for, the, yes, for most yes. of us mere mortals, it is quite a lot of money. Um, what about Andy's question about how long it will take to recover to pre-COVID position? I, I think that Aberdeen will be close to that uh, for twenty one twenty two. I know they didn't have the, the the best of seasons on the pitch, mm. but but crowds did return. Uh, I think the biggest hit that they had uh, in uh, twenty. 21 was in terms of commercial income but now that fans can return sponsors can come in they can buy the merchandise um i, I think we, we should be broadly back to where we before and and it will be more dictated by events on the pitch yeah, try, trying to get those discretionary fans who are thinking you know it's uh it, it's november where we're playing yeah we're playing a team st you know st johnson at home yeah. uh what's incentivizing me to, to go to this match have we got the pricing right have they got the 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 the, the, the concourse and you know is, is it a good environment to go which I'm sure it is um but uh you know they this this is where the clubs have to work that wee bit harder so you've just inadvertently upset a dear friend of mine uh, Kieran Scottish comedian Fred McCauley uh he's a delightful man St Johnston fan but he's like most football fans he has a bee in his bonnet about something and he always says whenever people are talking about uh, Scottish football, they always say, well, you know, playing St. Johnson on the chair, St. Johnson seems to be the Stoke City. What's it going to be? <laughs> what, what are they going to be like playing St. Johnson on a Tuesday night? It's always St. Johnson. Uh, um, uh, he's such a nice man, he'll forgive you quite quickly. Matthew Plant has our next question, and it's uh, one I imagine you would have really enjoyed researching. <laughs> I did, it's, I love this. It's, one. It's, it's got so many words in it that are completely up your street, and now I had to look up. <laughs> Uh, so Matthew Plant's question is, ignoring growth on their capital investment, which club owners take the most financially from their club, either by dividends, director emoluments, or commercial contracts with associated companies? Can I guess Can I guess the Glazers, Kieran? You you are. You are in, in it in one. It's like getting Wordle in one, Kevin, there. <laughs> <laughs> it's excellent. Um, yeah, yeah the, the Glazers are, are streets ahead. and. Wow. Uh, Manchester United uh, announced their results, their third quarter results, uh, at uh, at midday on on Thursday. Uh, so, as you can imagine, I went into spreadsheet heaven, and uh, despite the fact that the club is is losing more than a million pounds a week, uh, they they're still committing to pay a dividend uh, in June to to the shareholders. Now, the Glazers own around about you know probably about seventy five percent of the shares in total uh, and, and well over 90% of the votes on, on the back of that. So uh, the dividends around about 11, 11 and a half million pounds. Uh, so the vast majority of that is going to the Glazers. Manchester United have been paying that out since I think it was 2016. So, so the, the shareholders do well. Um, and also, you know, whilst Matthew says ignoring growth on their capital investment, um, what the Glazers have done is that they've sold small tranches of shares, uh, especially in recent years. And just when when the Manchester United share price is high, they've uh, they've cashed in um, on the back of that, and they've made 
very, very large sums. Yeah, we are talking in, into the hundreds of millions, uh, I think, in respect of that. So, um, so uh, that's that is by far the most successful. Second, uh, second, the runners-up prize goes to West Ham oh. um, with yeah. with David Golden, David Sullivan. And remember, uh, I think it was uh, one of the Davids that has gone on the radio and has, and has said forcefully, has said forcefully, Kevin, we have never, never taken yeah. a penny out of this club in salaries or dividends. You go, well, that's fair enough, David. Fair enough, David. But just, just a quick, a quick, a quick look at these loans that yeah. you've got to the club. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've trousered, you've charged the club twenty-two million pounds in interest. Wow. So, so yeah, I'd, I'd quite happily not take a dividend uh, uh, if, if, I, if, if I was going to get uh, twenty-two million pounds in interest. And, and I know they say, well, you know, it's it's a lower rate of interest mm. than they think they would be charged with the banks, um, but it's it's still possibly a higher rate of interest than you would get from sticking it in your local ISA. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, but it's it you know, it's a win-win deal. Uh, third, uh, I, th- I think it's uh, your, uh, your 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 good friend, Mister Parrish. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, he, according to my, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that he is the highest paid director at Crystal Palace because he's chief executive. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, to be fair, you know, when Palace were promoted, didn't take any money out for the first couple of years in the Premier League, but has taken out at least nine million pounds. We don't know what he's taken out for for 2021 because he is on my naughty step. He yes, is using a loophole to yeah. avoid publishing the accounts. Yeah, well, it, it it may be him. It may be the Americans. We don't know. I, it's probably him. I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, it's, it's slightly annoying doing this pod and Palace are one of the clubs that haven't published their accounts. And this is the sort of question I'm here to ask, Kieran. But why why is it important to ignore the growth on the capital investment in answering this question? Well, because that's sort of a that's a paper profit. So if if you bought a club for two hundred million and you think you could sell it for 300 million doesn't mean that you will so oh, i think absolutely. i think what what matthew's trying to say is you know only only let's look at those people who have, who have genuinely cashed in their chips mm. uh, thomas mccarthy has asked us a question uh, on the face of it it's rather a grim one and it's it's a sort of question that football fans do throw to each other from time to time but it's also an important one i think as thomas mccarthy says back in 2016 we had the tragic accident where 19 players from Brazilian team Chapecoense died in a plane crash. My question is, what is in place currently if this were to happen to one of our Premier League teams? Is each player insured by the club as per their transfer value and the team is simply comp- compensated for each individual lost? And is there a minimum amount of players that are required to be lost in order for a club season to be suspended until the next transfer window when they can replace players. Of course, back in the day, Kieran, the Munich air disaster, mm. the FA expected Manchester United to fulfil their very next fixture, which they did with with basically youth team players. So um, I hope that's not the case now. But it, it's it, it was a, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible accident. But it's an interesting question. It is. It is. Uh, I, I managed to speak to uh, one of the travel officers at, uh, at a Premier League club, right. and um, he said that they they do take out specific insurance policies with regards to this, and and, and the premiums are quite high. But also, and, and um, he said that uh, what some of the clubs are doing uh, is that they are employing um, on, on a sort of a consultancy basis uh, risk aviation experts. And oh. they they have they have gone through that process of they worked out well if we are chartering flights to uh, an away match 
um, should we actually charter two flights? Because yeah. you know, for that very risk, and, and effectively put 11 players in, in plane A and 11 players in plane B. And they've also done that with regards to the executives. Cause, and, and I know that uh, you know, certainly working in, in the world of finance, some banks will not allow more than two very senior bankers to travel on the same train or plane yeah. for that very reason. Um, and the clubs ha- have looked into it. They've, they've worked out that it's probably it's probably not cost effective to do that, but it's certainly been considered. But what the uh, what the uh, risk aviation experts do is they actually assess the planes themselves that the clubs are going to play in. So if the plane is more than 25 years old, they'll just say, no, we're not prepared to accept it. But also, if the plane is less than two years old, they do exactly the same because oh. you know the, the, they've, not, they've not worked through the gremlins yet. There is a, There is sort of a sweet spot. It's, it's a bit like knocking in a cricket bat. You know, is a, if, if you've got a cricket bat, the, the first few innings, it's, 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 it sounds like a, you know, it sounds like an old plank, uh, and and then 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 you then you have a few glorious years, and, and then of course it reaches the end of its life. So so it, it, that was sort of really intriguing. But what he was also saying um, is that uh, for 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 players that are on international duty, or if we have a club that's about to recruit a player from overseas. The risk aviation experts have said you do not, yeah, you because know, they normally get these 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 lads coming across on private planes. Um, yeah. And he says, wait, just look at what happened with Emilio Nicella. Of course. So yeah. we 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 will not use single propeller planes for that very reason. Yeah. In addition, um, we if if we've got let's say we've got four or five players playing for Spain or playing in a match, you know, Spain versus France and so on, we want to get our players back as quickly as possible. So we will hire a jet. And then what we will do, so if it's a London club, what you will normally find is that, yeah, they might be rivals, but Arsenal and Spurs and Chelsea, they'll have a word with each other. And together, they will charter a flight to get their French players back as oh, quickly okay. as possible. Right, right. So, so, so there is collaboration taking place. They want, they want to pull the costs, which, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but the other thing that they would insist on again, this, you know, this, this is coming from the senior clubs, and I'm, I'm, you know, the, the Emiliano Sala thing is uh, th- this is this is what happens when people try to cut corners. You know, yeah. and the tragic loss of life there is. Yeah. They, they even said to me, um, "We will only charter a flight, and we'll do our background checks, and we will insist that there is a pilot and a co-pilot." Because you don't want, you know, what happens if, you know, and, and you, you and I, we're, we're old enough to remember seeing the the old uh, the, the old nineteen seventies disaster movies, mm-hmm. uh, which involved planes, normally where the where the captain had, had a dodgy, you know, prawn chimichanga, uh, and, and then he went ill and so on, and and the, the air hostess had to had to bring bring the plane down. He says, well, you know, if, if you think of it, you put that in a football context, what happened if we if we had for example, we've got a single pilot in the plane. He becomes ill, or she becomes ill, and uh, you, you you end up with with you know uh, air traffic control having to get Jack Grealish to land the plane. <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, that doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No, you'd 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 ask the rest of the team first before you got to Jack Grealish, wouldn't you? Um, that's really interesting. My dad, God rest him, it was like B. A. Baracus when it comes to aeroplanes. As he said, he said the first time he flew to Ireland, it was a propeller plane, and he looked out the window, and one of the propellers wasn't going round, uh, and he he decided the only course of action was this was to wander up to the pilot's cockpit and mention it to him, and the pilot 
basically it was Gordon and my dad Apollo went, oh, really? Shit. Uh, and then went, went back, had a look out the window, and then did an announcement about perfectly normal, don't worry. But, but then what I could never understand with my dad, when he, whenever he flew to Ireland, right up to the end, it's like, Dad, if you're so scared of planes, why do you get to the airport five hours before your one takes off? Um <laughs> Also, I just think that you just made me laugh a lot then. is Only a man of a certain age would compare an aeroplane and a cricket bat. That's the old cricket <laughs> bat. <laughs> yeah, flying a plane. It's just like knocking in a cricket bat. Series, really not similar things at all, Kieran. <laughs> I, I understood what you said, and every man of a certain age listening to this would be going, oh, yeah, it's a good point. Um, Beth Evans. Hello, Beth. Beth Evans is a business student and works in the football industry and says that she was interested in the discussion surrounding the broadcast blackout. Beth says, I agree with the principal and feel the 3pm Saturday slot should be looked after. However, with media deals getting out of hand, would it not be better served to give Premier League clubs their own Saturday 3pm slot, um, say 4pm on a Sunday, for example? Um, I raised the point, as I noticed in American football, NFL teams play on a Sunday and college football plays on Saturday. Do we think clubs will have to pursue ideas such as this to continue the injection of money? It's an interesting question, Kieran, because the... The, you know, the the broadcasting blackout three o'clock Saturday is still fairly sacrosanct, um, but it, it it would seem to make sense in a in a way. I'd hate it to happen, but if the Premier League had their own specific day, that that's not a bad idea. I think I I, I can see the logic, and, and I suspect as yeah, if if I was an EFL club owner or the EFL, I'd be absolutely delighted because yeah. Saturday becomes EFL day. And that would increase the value of the rights because yeah. we still yeah, we still want to watch something, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think it would be good and be more attention on the EFL, um, and and you can see the benefits, but the other stakeholders wouldn't be keen on it. And by the other stakeholders, first of all, let, let's take a look at it from the point of view of the broadcasters. What the Premier League does is it sells individual packages, so it sells a. 12:30 p.m. Saturday and a 5:30 p.m. Saturday slot, um, and it tr- and it and it does extract a lot of dollar from those uh, from the broadcasters because they want to have they want to have this effectively strap you in you know f- ideally from from 7:30 on a Friday night until you know 10 o'clock on a Monday night we have to a large extent got wall to wall football um, and and they like the idea of getting. Uh, viewers and subscribers committing to them for for three to four days over the course of the weekend. So I don't mm. think the uh, I don't think the broadcasters would be over keen on it, but I, I think it would be a great idea from the EFL. And I, I'm the same as you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a traditionalist. Three p.m. Saturday is great. Um, if it meant that I now, as a fan, you know, and, and you were both fans of Premier League clubs. Uh, if we have to go and turn our attention to every Sunday match is taking place, yeah. well, okay, several things today. Tra- trains are a bit crap on Sundays, so uh, we're away yeah. to Newcastle. If we're away to Burnley on a, on a Sunday, chances are you're not going to get home. Yep. Uh, so, so you know, th- there are, and you say, well, why are we doing this? We're doing this in order to to assist our our friends at, at the EFL, and, and, and you'd say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure that it, it's working. The other issue, which I suspect will uh, push against it, but yeah, I, I absolutely understand where Beth's coming from, is Champions League. Champions League takes place on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, yeah, of course. So how can you have matches yeah. taking place on a Sunday, which presumably would be 12.30, 2.30, 4.30, 7. You, you could have four matches on a Sunday if then 
our leading clubs who were in the Champions League had to then zoom off to go and play somewhere in Europe. So I, I think for, for for those reasons, it's it's unlikely to arise. But the, what we have at present, it's it's not been thought through logically, and it's sort of a it, it, it is a bit of a it is a bit of a mess. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question comes from Tony Hereford. Uh, I presume it's Tony Hereford. Possibly it could be Tony from Hereford. Uh, I hope it's Tony Hereford because he definitely would have been one of our 70s private eyes that we <laughs> liked. To. Trevor Eve would have played Tony Hereford. Probably would have only got one series, but it would have been a great name. For <laughs> Tony Hereford asks a question that we have answered before, but it's one of those questions that we get asked a lot. Um, so I'm happy to... To, to revisit this one. And Tony says, how much does each player pay to the PFA, that's the Players' Union, the Professional Footballers' Association, in the form of subs? Do they all pay the same or is it pro rata to earnings? Right, they they all play the same um, and I'm indebted to the PFA because uh, I, I contacted them uh, on a Sunday morning to ask this question because uh, I was at a wedding yesterday. Nor- normally I do most of my, my research work on a Saturday uh, and fair play to them, they got back to me. Um, and they're absolutely superb. So um, everybody plays the same. It's £150 per year, whether you or £20 if you're uh, an academy player, if you're if you're a, if you're coming through the ranks. Um, and uh, and you might say, well, is 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 that fair? You know, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and and David De Gea and co paying the same as as left back in in League Two. But yeah, as the PFA point out, first of all, it's a union, you know, and, and yeah, in yep. a union, everybody is equal. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm a trade union member myself, and, and I pay the same subs as people that earn more than me and less than me, and so on. So, you know, I, I understand where they're coming from from that point of view, and they, and from their point of view, um, you know, you might think, well, that's not a lot of money per per member, uh, and it, it, it's you know, 150 pounds, 150 pounds. Um, but the the PFA generates most of its money from its share of the the Premier League TV rights. So therefore, you know, from the PFA's point of view, it's it's the Premier League players who are indirectly generating the vast majority of the money, yeah. and they're effectively subsidising 
all of the good work that the PFA does. And you know, I'm not here. Yeah, you know, I'm not here to be a cheerleader of the PFA just because they answered a question on Sunday morning. Even though I think it's yeah, you know, hats off to them for doing it. But they do an awful lot of good work for for all of their members um, in terms of health, education, legal advice, and so on. And that is again, that is. On, on a universal basis, uh, and also when, when when the players have ceased to be uh, professional players themselves. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, an indication of how highly most players hold the PFAs. I know two or three uh, young footballers who play semi-professional, fairly high non-league level, and all of them, their ambition is to get a professional contract so they can join the PFA because they, they all feel that they'd be much safer in their terms of employment if they were part of the PFA. Uh, James Bartaby has a question. James Bartaby's question, I think, is probably germane to Brighton at the moment. Is you see, clubs often pay compensation to bring in a manager from another club. But what's stopping a manager resigning in order to move on? Do they have clauses in their contracts to say they can't take a new job for a set period if they quit? Or a compensation clause they have to pay to break their contracts? And I believe, Kieran, that... You, Newcastle are waiting to employ your Brighton's ex-technical director, who is currently serving out his notice with Brighton. I believe is that right? That's correct. Yeah, Dan Ashworth. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think we will have white smoke on that deal coming through this week, right. if, uh, if if the rumours are true. But in, in respect of uh, a, a manager's contract of employment, it will be for a fixed period of time, um, and if the manager chooses to resign. Um, then they would. The club is at liberty to to insist that they sit out a period of gardening leave. Yeah. And now, what? How can we? How can we alleviate that? You alleviate that through financial compensation. So, in the case, you know, again, going back to Brighton, uh, Graham Potter signed a contract with uh, Swansea City uh, in his when, when he joined the club, um, and and we approached the we approached Swansea after he'd been there for twelve months. Um, and said, well, we, we'd like to terminate his contract early and, and recruit him as manager. And a settlement period was organised. Now, uh, and that all went through smoothly. If, if the manager resigned, then he still has a contract of employment, which will contain clauses, which will insist that if he chooses to take another position within the industry, then there must be some form of financial settlement. So, you can't just quit and say, oh, no, I'm fed up of football, and then 48 yeah. hours later say, I've, I've, I've rediscovered my love for the game yeah. at, at, uh, at another club with another another transfer. So, uh, you know, the, the contracts are there for reasons. They are to protect both parties. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had the I've had the, the privilege of, of doing some work for the League Managers Association, and, you know, you, you talk to managers and they say, well, you know, the, the average period of tenure in some of the – divisions in football is, is 12 to 14 months. You know, if I sign a three-year contract, um, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to leap away, but I, I've still got I've still got family, I've still got kids, I've still got mortgage. And, you know, uh, managers, especially in the lower leagues, are paid far less than, than people suspect that they're yeah. going to be. And they need protecting. And if they prove to be good and another club comes in, that's great. I mean, if we take, uh, take the case of Lincoln City and the Cowley brothers, they went to Huddersfield. Huddersfield paid compensation. Mm. Everybody wins. Mm. Well, except Huddersfield for quite some time, but there you are. Um, Lee Hine is a Colchester United fan living in Germany, uh, which led me to a two-minute romantic <laughs> speculation that one day, one day Lee will be travelling through maybe Stuttgart. He'll just be he'll be in Stuttgart and he'll be in a bar and he'll look up and he'll go, "Hang on a second, I recognise that kit." 
And the other Colchester United fan living in Germany will be in the bar and they will have <laughs> many happy hours talking about <laughs> life back in Colchester. But Lee's question is about work permits for managers in the Premier League and the EFL. And Lee says, I remember reading that Antonio Conte had to wait before taking charge of training at Spurs. And Ralph Rangnick missed the Chelsea game due to his permit not being in place. My question is, with many out-of-work managers in the UK, what do clubs have to provide to apply for work permits for foreign managers? And what is the process for approval? Uh, this is a question that I think Sam Allardyce would happily have asked uh, in recent months, because it's it's one that disgruntled English managers often talk about, isn't it? Yes. Um, now, since, uh, since the decision to... <clears throat> leave the European Union. Um, we no longer have freedom of movement of labour within Europe. So so now there has to be effectively foreign office approval and what's referred to as a governing body endorsement. So the recruiting club has to, via the authorities, indicate that the person that they are recruiting for the job has a special skill set um, which would enable them to do the job here um, in the UK. So so it, it is a case of going through, there would be perhaps a points-based system. If you were uh, if you were the manager of a fourth division club in uh, Albania, um, are you going to get a job as a championship manager? Probably not, because yeah. you're unlikely to satisfy the criteria. So, so it, you have to go through a, a skill set. Um, we do have a points-based system in terms of recruiting um, <clears throat> people to work here in the UK. And, and that would normally be done, you know, via the, the auspices of the club, uh, perhaps the LMA themselves, if, if the manager, especially if the manager previously worked in this country, and so on. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Kieran, we asked a question from Benjamin Toast, and we we had many people tweeting in to say, "Hang on a second, it, it, how come Benjamin Toast gets all these questions answered? Is he producer guy in disguise?" Uh, <laughs> we don't know. We've yet to ascertain that. Um, but also. <laughs> Uh, this question comes from Larkin Hogel, uh, and Larkin gets a lot of questions answered. So it's possible that Guy's using more than one pseudonym. Um, for new listeners, it may not surprise you to hear that Larkin Hogel is, in fact, Australian. It's probably the most Australian name you could make <laughs> uh, well, I, I went to see Craig Revel Horwood the other night perform. He was fantastic. Uh, he had some great Australian expressions. Uh, Larkin, <laughs> uh, even better in the after-show party, I have to say, but there you are. Um, Larkin Hogel said, uh, is there any special clause or feature in player contracts that would allow teams to not pay them during the African Cup of Nations? Many players miss at least two Premier League matches during that tournament. Are clubs obliged to release and pay players regardless of how the international fixtures disrupt a domestic campaign? And I, I don't know about you, Kieran, but we regularly lose three or four players uh, during AFCON. But actually, we don't mind because... We we know how important it is for players to represent their, their country and we're also quite proud of the fact that we've got players that are taking part in, in that tournament. Mm. And, of course, it gives you an extra level of interest. Um, so, yeah, it's only a couple of games, so it's, an, it's annoying. But actually, you kind of go, no, it's fair enough. It's part of being the support of a Premier League game. But it's an interesting question. It, it is. Um, as far as Larkin's uh, question in relation, could the clubs avoid paying the players? Um well, try try recruiting them. You know, mm. Try offering them a contract which says uh, you're 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 of African heritage. Um, we want to pay you so much per month, but if you go and play for your country uh, in a prestigious tournament, we're not going to play you during that 
that yeah. period of time. And the player says, thanks, but no thanks. I'll, I'll go and join somebody else instead. So yeah. I, I think clubs have to be practical and pragmatic when it comes to this. Ultimately, um, w- what we're doing here is governed by FIFA. And under FIFA statute, if you are chosen to play for your country, then that takes priority over domestic games. Now, remember, uh, you know, if, 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 if there's a certain number of players uh, that get picked within a tournament or for individual matches, um, you might be able to, uh, and, and this sometimes happens, remember sometimes when in League One and League Two games yes, during yes, international yes. breaks, you say, well, why aren't Sunderland playing this weekend? Yeah. And it turns out that they've got you know, four or five players that have been called up. Yeah. So it, it, if, if you go through a particular threshold, then, then there could be consequences. Uh, in terms of actually having the matches played, which won't necessarily go down with the coach or the fans particularly well. But that that should be something that you take into consideration when you are putting together a squad, because you know, the last thing you want is is lots of matches concertina together. Um, but it is, is dictated um, by FIFA, um, and uh, it, it's uh, it, it's country over club. And as a football fan, as, as, an old, you know, as a legacy fan, I'm, I'm totally in favour of that. Absolutely, yes, absolutely right. Our penultimate question comes from Ben Andrew. Uh, and Ben, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of judicious pruning of your question for exactly those legal reasons we talked yes. about earlier on. Uh, producer guy's got enough on his mind at the moment without this sending his blood pressure further up. Uh, ben Andrew says, unfortunately, football has seen a recent spike in players being arrested and having their contracts ripped up due to gross misconduct. Allegedly, the next bit is redacted because he, he names a couple of teams uh, who have had players arrested and are not included in their squad for the season. Can teams admit the millions in wages from FFP, including it's halfway through the season, if a player has their contract ripped up due to gross misconduct? I appreciate this isn't the most important part when it comes to these players, but we're talking tens of millions of pounds. And as somebody who writes and have I got news for you, and it took me a long time to understand this. It turns out that just adding the word allegedly, Kieran, <laughs> doesn't save you from prosecution. Yes. As we as we have found, as I in particular found one joke about a member of the royal family. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's for after the show chat. Yeah, uh, well, I think you can probably guess which member of the royal yes. family is, but there you are. Um, yeah, so uh, that's why Ben, I didn't mention the teams, but it's it it, it is an interesting question. I mean, it's it, it, it is happening, but can they can they offset it against FFP? Um, well, if the contract is terminated due to gross misconduct, then there's no obligation to pay any more money. So, therefore, the club will be in the clear. Um, with reference to the possible players for the possible clubs for the possible indiscretions that I think Ben is referring to, as far as I understand, all of those players are still under contract and will continue to be so until uh, the due force of, of law has taken place. Um, if, if, the, if the club unilaterally decided to um, terminate the contract um, without the player being found guilty in a court of law of a discretion, then if I was the PFA and if I was the player's representatives, I, I would sue sue the club because mm. it would be a case of um, you know guilty until found otherwise as far as the club was behaving. Um, you know, we, we are aware clearly of some players who may have done some things where they are not in team photos, they are not mentioned in the programmes and and so on. And you know, social media deals with that type of nonsense. You know, that's not you know, not well, it's not nonsense. Yeah, you know, that 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 
trial by social media element of things. But um, it, it would not be force majeure um, from an FFP perspective. So given that uh, COVID was not a uh, deemed to be a sufficient reason, uh, yeah, a, a once in a in, once in a century long pandemic uh, did, did not allow clubs to uh, evade financial fair play accusations. I, I think the, the behaviour or misbehaviour of an individual is unlikely to do the same as well. Mm. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Paul Doddymead, and it's one of those questions that I love because it's one of those questions where you go, why haven't I asked this before? Uh, and it's a topical subject. It's one of your favourites. And Paul says, uh, after years of poor ownership and a lack of cost control, it looks like these things are going to lead to the creation of a new regulator, an independent regulator. And Paul says, typically, most regulators are funded by the industries they regulate. Mm. Is there any way fans won't have to pick up the cost through their ticket prices? And for supporters of well-run teams, why do they have to pay? A very interesting question, I think, Ian. It is, um, and I absolutely understand where Paul has come from. And, uh, you know, I, I have to... In, in the in the world of being as transparent as possible, um, yeah, I I, I I know people that work in terms of drafting the legislation and so on uh, with regards to this, and, and I've had uh, you know, round robin meetings with discussions with them, and, and I yeah, you know, my personal view is if there's a regulator, I I my personal view is light touch, um, have it have it focused, have it tailored rather mm. than an, an over bureaucratic approach. Um, and certainly, if you take such an such a, a system to uh, football regulation, that stops the uh, attack dogs um, from uh, which are being employed by the Premier League. And all I would say is that there is a, a extremely well measured uh, and analytical article written uh, by the Charlton dossier in relation to to one of these uh, attack dogs. Um, that, that are trying to discredit the, uh, the the potential for a regulator in the game. But back to back to Paul's question, um, there will be compliance costs. Now we don't know how much that those are going to be. Uh, yeah, we, we've been talking about the the stakeholders who have benefited from the game in terms of owners and chief executives. Um, I, I don't think that even if the regulator has has a has a you know, even a a significant number of employees, they themselves will not be on big salaries. So spread over the total industry, I don't think it will be huge. But um, should is there a way that fans can avoid picking up the cost through their ticket prices? Right now, it's it's I'm back on soapbox. There should be a football levy on all bets in the same way yeah. that there is yeah, yeah. a levy in relation to the horse racing industry. Yeah. Because the horse racing industry provides huge amounts of employment, provides huge, huge amounts of enjoyment for people that, that enjoy it, um, and uh, and so on. Um, and the gambling industry benefits from the horse racing industry. The gambling industry is the single biggest beneficiary of the success of the Premier League from a financial perspective. Mm. If you take a look at the Gambling Commission's website and see the level of bets which are placed on football and the margins that the, the gambling industry gets. So by having a levy on football bets, this could A, fund the regulator from the very smallest of small change, 
B, it could provide a little bit of money for the treasury. And, and I think I think Mr. Sunak is. Is 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 it? You know, he's, he's, if he's looking at the money coming in and the money going out, there's, there's a bit of a gap there. Mm. Uh, and thirdly, uh, and, and this is this is my view, is that a significant proportion of it should go to both the EFL and grassroots football to protect the history and the heritage elements of the game itself. Um, and 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 the gambling companies would still make a hell of a lot of money. So so that that would be the solution that I would suggest, Paul. Um, and and I and I think that is it is an equitable one. Um, so that because those who have benefited the most from the game can now start to contribute back to the game. Do you know what, Kieran? You mentioned the Chancellor. I think we it's time for us to rectify a glaring omission. We forgot to congratulate him on being uh, entering the Times Rich List. That was uh, very remiss of us. It's um, end of season. And producer guy as well, of course. <laughs> well, I think he's on his own list, isn't he? <laughs> uh, it's the end of the season, so it's time for another Price of Football Zoom quiz, although, of course, our season doesn't end. We're not going anywhere. Uh, but to celebrate what's been a remarkable season, we're having a Zoom quiz, which we always enjoy. Uh, it's taking place this evening, this evening, this, this Thursday, June the 2nd, uh, 7.30, I believe, or 7. I don't know. It'll be on the link. We're not posting the link on social media this time, so we can avoid the dickheads who hover around. <laughs> uh, instead, you can find the link in the description of this episode on your podcast app. Hope to see you there. And thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small com- monthly contribution to the always free to air pod, go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to the company, Mr. F- Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, uh, folks, thank you so much for the support for the show. It, it, it genuinely it warms the cockles of our hearts. Uh, Patreon is one method of doing that for as, for as little as a pound, pound a month. You And yeah, then you think about that, but that works out at what, you know, 12p an episode for for, for, for some of the amazing insights that we managed to produce by phoning up other people and asking them to answer our questions. <laughs> and I'm still busy. I'm too busy doing the mental arithmetic on dividing... A pound by eight. Uh, you're the accountant. You do that, Kieran. Yeah, that's what yeah. I said. Twelve, twelve p an episode. Is it? But isn't twelve? Is, is, you've got four p unaccounted for then, now, haven't you? Well, yeah, I'm rounding down. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> let's not round down. Let's round up. <laughs> let's let's join the Conservative Party and round everything up. Let's level up, not level down. Sorry, true, Kieran. true. Yeah. Um, but uh, if 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 you you don't think we what you we deserve that, now. we perfectly understand why you know, belt belts are tight and so on. Um, Oh, you, you can you can give us some some love. You can give us some you can give us some groovy vibes and karma by going on to your podcast app and giving us a review. And if you give us five stars, you think we're worth it. That'd be that would be much appreciated. It does help us in the charts. We we uh, we are punching uh, against uh, yeah against our weight. This is very much a, a niche show, but we're up against some big hitters. Um, and, and by all accounts, and, and this has been confirmed by producer guy. And other people we work with, uh, it doesn't matter what you write in the review. Um, you could say you would rather this show was presented by Cher and Les Dawson, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. I, and I don't—I've got no idea where I've got those. I, I, I get these—I get these these people coming into my head when I'm out walking the dog in the morning. But I, I think I think a Cher and Les Dawson. Uh, published show would be absolutely fascinating and i'd certainly listen to it and give it five stars as well yeah uh, there's a there's a currently a tribute show to share going on at the moment with three actresses playing share 
Uh, and the young chair looks exactly the same as the old chair, which is somebody pointed out. It's really <laughs> accurate. Uh, uh, and if you're a fan of Les Dawson, by the way, um, Ali, my wife, is uh, working on a show about him for the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, really? Uh, yes, which John Coleshaw is doing. Um, which looks... I, love, I love Les Dawson. Oh, well, you will love this show then, because they're, they're doing some uh, pre-Edinburgh stuff. And if they're anywhere near you, I'll let you know. But I, I've seen uh, uh, clips of it, and it's great. It's really, really good. It's a really clever show. Uh, so, yes, we'll see you on uh, Thursday for the next pod, and hopefully we'll actually see you uh, in person for the quiz. So, in the meantime, goodbye, everybody, and big love to Guy. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the